Hello, everyone, and welcome to Insurance Uncovered, the first podcast bringing you insurance news, along with an inside perspective from thought leaders in the property casualty insurance industry. Insurance Uncovered is produced by the National Association of Mutual Insurance Companies and is sponsored this week by VPay, the total payment solution. I'm Kathy Imus, and today we're uncovering the latest on the National Flood Insurance Program. The Senate Banking Committee reviews possible changes to strengthen the program before the next reauthorization. And new from NAMIC, the latest issue analysis on cannabis-impaired driving and its implications for the insurance industry. Plus, hurricane forecasting. Colorado State University's Dr. Phil Klotzbach provides insight into changing weather patterns, along with his forecast for the 2021 storm season. But first, let's take a look at what's happening in our nation's capital. The Senate Banking Committee held a hearing to discuss issues related to the reauthorization of the National Flood Insurance Program. The NFIP is currently set to expire this coming September 30th. NAMIC submitted a statement requesting any NFIP reauthorization legislation be a long-term solution designed to put the program on a path to fiscal solvency, increase private involvement in the flood market, address affordability, and increase mitigation efforts. NAMIC urged Congress and FEMA to take steps to foster private sector participation as a way to create more choices for flood insurance policyholders while also ensuring maximum insurer participation in FEMA's Write Your Own program. During the hearing, Republican ranking member Pat Toomey said that in the last decade and a half, the NFIP has lost about half of its annual total revenue year after year, and said that any insurer that operated like that would not be able to exist. And that brings me to an important point. The NFIP really shouldn't be considered an insurance program at all. In many ways, it's really a subsidization program. Specifically, NFIP subsidizes the cost of living and building in flood-prone areas. Usually, we subsidize activities because we want to encourage them. Conversely, in the case of NFIP, subsidies lead to more building and rebuilding in areas at extreme risk of flooding. Exacerbating the problem, development itself within these flood-prone areas tends to further increase flood risk and flood damage because it covers the absorbent green space with impermeable surfaces. And to whom do these subsidies mostly accrue? Wealthy people. Properties with subsidized NFIP premiums are overwhelmingly located in our wealthiest communities. Likewise, subsidized NFIP premiums are rare in our lower income communities. Lately, this committee spent a great deal of time discussing climate risk and equity. I can't think of a better opportunity to demonstrate a commitment to addressing both than through a proper reauthorization of the NFIP. Now, Part of the good news is that the NFIP is on a slow but positive path toward actuarially more sound premiums. And that brings me to the key principle of reauthorization, which is let's do no harm. Reauthorization must not interrupt this important positive progress. In addition to the association's outreach on NFIP reauthorization, NAMIC will continue working with committee members and their staff in advance of the hearing on the importance of FEMA's Risk Rating 2.0, the plan to align flood rates with actual risk. 
NAMIC's public policy team recently completed its latest issue analysis. The new paper examines cannabis-impaired driving, summarizing recent studies and contemplating the many questions that remain for stakeholders, including insurers, to be addressed. Cannabis legalization has increased at a rapid pace around the country and is now in widespread medical and recreational use by millions of Americans. This expanded usage is presenting a host of new challenges for law enforcement, public safety officials, lawmakers at all levels of government, and yes, for property casualty insurers. While neither a supplier nor an end user, the insurance industry still finds itself squarely in the middle of this complex legal landscape with many more questions than answers. The cannabis white paper provides context and frames some of the questions to be considered as policymakers look for solutions to strengthen road and highway safety across American communities. You can find the issue analysis online at NAMIC.org. Also new from NAMIC, a five-part series examining social inflation and its impact on insurers. The first part of the series from NAMIC and Jen Rhee launched earlier this month and provides an overview of the history of social inflation and its intersection with the property casualty insurance industry. It also breaks down several severity drivers, including more miles driven, distracted driving, litigation funding, the widening wealth gap, growing attorney involvement, increasing plaintiff bar sophistication, and defense bar complacency. Our next podcast on June 2nd will feature Jen Rhee's own Ridge Muley, discussing what to expect throughout this series on social inflation, including the latest data and perspectives from specialists across various disciplines, such as actuarial, claims, legal, and emerging issues. Well, NAMIC members from the state of Washington kicked off the 35th iteration of the property casualty industry's premier grassroots program, the Congressional Contact Program. The group met on May 13th with more than a half dozen of their elected officials and staff. The members focused on a wide but important array of issues, including state-based insurance regulation, protecting underwriting freedom, taxes, and vehicle data access. As the nation emerges from the pandemic and Congress considers countless proposals, it's vital that members engage through the CCP, even if it's virtually, to help share our industry's concerns and to urge their elected officials to make those issues a priority. If you're interested in participating in CCP, you can sign up online at NAMIC.org. After a record-breaking hurricane season in 2020 that resulted in 30 named storms, including 14 hurricanes, seven of them major hurricanes, everyone is hoping for a much quieter 2021 season. But that may not be the case, as scientists are already predicting another above-average year. To get the scoop on what to expect from Mother Nature this year, on today's Unscripted, our Chuck Chamness talks with Colorado State University research scientist Dr. Phil Klossbach about his predictions for the coming hurricane season and the impacts of severe weather patterns. Joining me today on Insurance Unscripted is Dr. Phil Klossbach. He's a research scientist at the Department of Atmospheric Science at Colorado State University, one of the nation's leading hurricane prediction centers. Phil's also a self-proclaimed hurricane geek, and we thought we'd pick his brain on the upcoming hurricane season, as well as the impact of severe weather patterns. So thanks for joining us today, Phil. Thanks so much for having me. 
So, Phil, I think you've got a fun job, and I just can't resist asking first, how'd you get into weather forecasting, climate, uh, atmospheric science, um, and maybe what's the most memorable weather event of your career? Yeah, I mean, I've always just been obsessed with the weather for as long as I can remember. When I was a little kid, I used to have my dad print out blank maps of the United States, and he used to draw fronts on them. And growing up in Massachusetts, I um, always had exciting weather. I was always a huge fan of snow. Um, but when I was five years old, we had Hurricane Gloria come through. It made landfall in Connecticut, but brought pretty significant impacts to Massachusetts as well, where I was living at the time. And so ever since then, I've just been fascinated by hurricanes and kind of what makes them tick. And um, after, go, after going to grad school, I went to grad school at Colorado State University and had the privilege of studying with Dr. Bill Gray, who was the founder of the seasonal hurricane forecast. Right. And so I've just been fascinated with um, hurricanes, predictability from timescales as long or for as short as what's going to happen with these hurricanes in the next few hours. So what's going to happen with these hurricanes, you know, 50 to 100 years from now? Yeah, well, of course, uh, it's great to have you as uh, part of an industry that's um, obsessed with weather. Every conference call around the insurance industry always starts with weather talk. So uh, everybody loves weather, uh, sometimes hates weather too, depends on the weather. But uh, so let's talk a little bit about, you know, hurricanes and severe weather. Uh, NAMIC is a proponent of stronger building codes. We've led for years the Build Strong America Coalition that's helped uh, put them in place and is still working on that. What do you think is often misunderstood about, you know, when people look at risk to their homes and maybe they're assessing a hurricane that's out in the Gulf, uh, possibly reaching their shore? Um, how do you think people's understanding of hurricanes could be improved? And, um, and what do you think in terms of, you know, mitigation strategies for, for consumers as they face uh, the risk of severe weather? Yeah, I mean, you know, with, with, with hurricanes, I think there's still kind of a lot of there's a misconception that, you know, hurricane is a wind event. And obviously hurricanes, by definition, have strong winds with them. But a lot of the cataclysmic damage isn't necessarily from the wind. It can be, but you also get just a tremendous amount of damage from water, whether it be from basically the storm surge, so that wind-driven wall of water um, associated with the storm, or from flooding both along the coast as well as inland flooding from just extremely heavy rainfall. And certainly, you know, a storm's like, Hurricane Harvey and Florence um, from just a couple of years ago, just all the flooding that took place there. And I think that's kind of one of the misconceptions that people think of hurricanes often as just a wind event. Um, and when it comes to more the mitigation aspect, you know, with these stronger building codes, we can hopefully prevent a lot of the wind-driven damage from these hurricanes. You can build houses to withstand the strong winds and you get good hurricane shutters and things along those lines. But really it's the water that, you know, you need to be, um, you know, elevating structures above the storm surge level, because obviously even if you have a very well-built house, if you have a, you know, four or five feet wall of water intruding into the house, um, you're going to have the house likely be a total loss. Um, it doesn't require even that much water in a house to cause it to be a total loss. Once the mold and the mildew starts taking residence, it can be extremely expensive to mitigate. So I think really trying to realize that you know, hurricanes are more than just a wind hazard. It's a wind and a water hazard. And that can, obviously, the water can often be the, the, the biggest driver of the damage for the insurance industry. Yeah, that's so true and uh, great points. So as we look at uh, weather forecasting in general, and obviously it's very important to our industry. It helps protect property, but particularly it helps protect life as uh, storms are, are uh, called by forecasters like yourself. How is it? changed or evolved in the last 10 or 20 years and anything specific with regard to hurricanes? I know models are 
all used for uh, predictions, and you've probably just been using them as you predict the next hurricane season. But uh, what can you tell us about all that? You know, and that's actually a really good point where um, there's actually this week there's our AMS hurricane conference um, going on where basically with even, even at the meeting today they were talking about how these, basically how much better the, the, um, the track and the hurricane intensity forecasts have gotten. So as we get better computers and we have higher resolution models so we can forecast these hurricanes with, with higher and higher uh, resolutions, we can basically really help improve the, the skill of both where these hurricanes are going to track as well as how strong they're going to be. And just since 2005 with Hurricane Katrina in the last 15 years, both hurricane track and intensity forecast have improved by about 30 to 40 percent, which is a really remarkable improvement. And I think sometimes when, you know, like when I look at these storms, I look at them every day, every year. So you kind of, you, you kind of forget how much these things have improved when you look back 15, 20 years. And, you know, a, a, a five-day forecast today has as much skill as you only had it two to three days 30 years ago. So just these forecasts are getting better. They're certainly not perfect but they certainly are improving and that hopefully will um, has improved um, their preparedness for these storms as well as re causing um, reductions in say loss of life and um, hopefully loss in property values as well. Right, so climate change is obviously an issue not just for our industry, but for um, uh, everyone. And you know where climate change intersects with weather and weather forecasting, uh, I'd like you to talk a little more about that because uh, it seems sometimes there's a little bit of confusion. I think clearly there's some factors that are correlated and and uh, and obviously they're of great importance to our industry uh, as we you know work to deal with the uh, consequences of climate change and weather. Yeah, so I mean climate change is impacts on hurricanes. I mean. You know, one of the big things is, you know, are hurricanes causing more damage? And that's 100%. Yes, they are causing more damage. Um, and a large driver of the increase in damage, just growth in population and wealth along the coast. As we increase the amount of exposure, the cost of these storms goes up. Um, then obviously when it comes to climate change, there's several big issues that are there. Um, and one of the biggest issues is just background sea level rise. So as the sea levels go up, even if they only go up six inches to a foot in say the next 30, 40 years, doesn't seem like very much, but these low lying areas, you know, when you get the storm surge coming in, you get more flooding and the flooding can go farther inland. So that can cause a large increase in the amount um, of damage from the storms, as well as with climate change, you have a warmer atmosphere and a warmer atmosphere can hold more moisture and therefore can yield more rainfall. Um, so not to say we're going to see Hurricane Harvey's every year, but, with, with the warmer atmosphere that does increase the risk of these heavier of heavier and heavier rainfall with these hurricanes now the hurricanes themselves are likely to also become a little bit stronger in the future um but that's a little more nuanced point and the reason why is because with climate change you warm the ocean surface which is a plus for storms it helps them intensify faster but you also warm throughout the atmosphere so not just at the surface you warm at 5,000 feet 10,000 feet 20,000 feet and that tends to stabilize the atmosphere, um, which is a detrimental thing for hurricanes. And also overall, the warming of the ocean surface is likely to kind of dominate over the other factor, but we don't necessarily expect to see storms getting a tremendous amount stronger. Um, but the sea level rise and the increase in rain and the increase in heavy rainfall are likely to exacerbate losses in addition to continued growth in population along the coast. Yeah, good, good explanation, thank you. So you mentioned Harvey by name, and you've talked about kind of the severe 
problem with uh, water-related damage related to hurricanes. Maybe you can talk a little bit about what we learned from, from Harvey. Now, is it part of a trend or an outlier or too soon to tell or, or things the industry uh, has learned from that experience? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, a couple of points. I mean, one, um, when it comes to, you know, human-induced disasters, you know, when it comes to climate, you have the climate change, like the um, increases in greenhouse gases driving, um, potentially increases damage from hurricanes, but you also have humans can make storms better or worse. It has nothing to do with climate change. And I think Harvey is an example where you have just a tremendous amount of building, a an explosion in population, and you were building in areas that formerly were areas that were, say, bayous, um, where water would run off, and now you concrete the bayou and you replace an impermeable or a permeable surface with an impermeable one, and the water can no longer can um, go into the ground, and it consequently just runs off um, and causes exacerbates the flooding that already would have been there. So, you know, with, with storms like Harvey, you know, or with storms in general, we humans can make things worse or potentially better too by changing land uses and things along those lines to help um, improve runoff um, for future storms. But in terms of you know, with slow, with, with, with whenever you have these slow-moving storms, like we saw with Harvey and with Florence, slow-moving storms, you know, are going to basically spend longer over a certain part of the coast, and consequently, they're likely to cause more damage, not just in coastal areas, but obviously sometimes going well inland as well. Last question, and uh, this is a podcast, so this this uh, record of your answer will be recorded and kept forever, and you'll be held accountable for the result. But with we have the start of the uh, 2021 hurricane season right around the corner. So what's your team at uh, Colorado State predicting for this year? We are forecasting an above-normal hurricane season. Uh, we're calling for a total of 17 named storms. Of those 17, eight becoming hurricanes, and of those eight, four becoming major category three, four, five hurricanes, winds of 111 miles per hour or greater. That compares with the long-term average of about 14 storms, seven hurricanes, and three major hurricanes. So a little bit uh, more activity than normal due to a couple of factors. One, we do not um, anticipate an El Nino occurring this year. El Nino is warmer than normal water in the central and eastern tropical Pacific Ocean. When you get an El Nino, it tends to increase upper-level winds, so winds at 20, 30,000 feet in the atmosphere that tear apart hurricanes. Uh, we don't anticipate El Nino this summer and fall, and we also expect the waters in the tropical Atlantic to be warmer than normal, warmer than normal waters in the Atlantic being more fuel for those hurricanes since hurricanes live off of warm ocean water. Wow. Well, um, I guess I can take away a little bit of optimism there because at least it sounds like with 17 named storms, we won't uh, exceed the number of letters in the alphabet. Uh, yes, let's, and let's, so let's be able to have regular name storms and not have to get into all the extras, which is always a bad sign for our industry, right? Exactly. Yes. Yes. But they did. They did actually change their, uh, their the way they're doing it this year. So um, after there's the, so while obviously there's 26 letters in the alphabet, there's several letters that the National Hurricane Center doesn't use. So after 21 letters until last until this past year, we went into the Greek alphabet. Um, whereas this right. year, they're actually starting a supplemental list of names. So after we go through the, if, if you were to go through 21 storms and get to number 22, you'd have a second uh, storm starting with a letter A. Okay. All right. Well, that's, uh, that's a bonus factoid on hurricanes, <laughs> extreme weather, and the work you're doing at Colorado State. Phil, thanks so much for being our guest today on the podcast. Thanks so much for having me. 
And that's a wrap for us this week on Insurance Uncovered. We'd like to thank our sponsor, VPay, the total payment solution for supporting our podcast. And we'll be back again in two weeks on June 2nd with more insurance news and interviews. Until next time, I'm Kathy Imus. Have a wonderful day.